Welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I'm your co-host, the adjectiveless Flinkman. And I'm your other co-host, the uncanny Dayspring. And folks, we've got a lot going on this week, so uh, we'll just dive right into it with the news. Uh, Dayspring, what's going on this week? So in X News, legendary new X-Men writer Grant Morrison said they identify as non-binary. And Flinkman, I know we're both on the same page with this. This is so fucking great. The exact quote they said, which moved me, was when I was a kid, there were no words to describe certain aspects of my own experience. I've been non-binary, cross-dressing, genderqueer since I was 10 years old, but the available terms for what I was doing and how I felt were few and far between. I'm just so proud to be a fan of theirs. They have always been a leader in the comic book industry. They've been my hero as a writer since 2000 when I was in high school with streaks trying to be like Mark McGrath and Reflex. And now more than ever, they're just such a great human being. So congratulations, Grant Morrison. We cannot wait to see what you do next. I'm thrilled to have them be a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, to be a voice for, for people who haven't had one for a long, long time. So definitely happy to have more uh, voices like Grant's in comics. Jumping into spe- more specific X-Men news, uh, this week, a Lionel U variant cover to the very last issue of the Ten of Swords crossover, Ten of Swords Destruction, was unveiled, and uh, those are not our established Krakoan sword bearers. No, um, they're not. <laughs> well, okay, actually, the majority of them are there. We have Apocalypse, Wolverine, Magic, Storm, Gorgon, and Captains Britain and Avalon, all of them there. As is the Light of Galador, which is, of course, Young Cable's sword. But uh, the person wielding it looks a little bit different than the Young Cable that we're used to. Uh, Dayspring, care to speculate? Well, so we... Okay, okay. So we know a couple things have to happen. One, either Young Cable dies in battle and he's reborn as an amalgamation of all possibilities or whatever they said in Otherworld. Or maybe he becomes one of Apocalypse's horsemen. Those are my two top speculations. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when you first saw the image, you had other other ideas, right? I thought it was Maggot. I mean, he has blue skin and and that little white puff of hair. It it does look like Maggot. But there's there's no way. I'm such a Joe Mad fan. I was like, it's Maggot, it's Maggot, it's Maggot. But no, it it is when you zoom in on it, it's clearly Kid Cable. Yeah, and of course, uh, the crossover is called Ten of Swords, so there are, of course, ten swords. Um, but it wasn't until I was actually preparing for this episode and counting the sword bearers on that cover to determine who was missing that I realized there are actually only nine sword bearers because Gorgon actually carries two swords, God Killer and Grass Cutter. Um, and that just sort of further convinces me that uh, he's destined to die, but... That also means we're short one sword on this cover, and who's missing is a bit of a sensitive subject here at Generations of X. Who's who's missing? Doug Ramsey! Doug Ramsey, a.k.a. Cypher, is missing. And and who were the two people I said I really didn't want to die in this crossover? Uh, Doug Ramsey and Doug Ramsey? And Kid Cable as well! And Kid Cable as well! I cannot believe it. Well, you know... 
you should be used to the people you don't want to die dying by by this point in your X-Men fandom, I would Yeah, I, would I think. know. It should be like, I should just be used to my favorite characters just being like really F-less and never getting a solo book or any substantial stories. Oh, except <laughs> she had a solo series for 43 years, issues, eight years, I wish, 43 issues prior to even lowering herself to joining the x-men so <laughs> not to drag out our speculation over a variant cover too much longer i should mention that there are also two additional sword bears here that are that are new to the party um that is cyclops and jean gray but it uh it doesn't look like either of them are carrying uh doug's sword which is warlock right yeah, it looks like she's Genus carrying the Cerebro sword. I don't know what sword Cyclops is carrying. Again, not to drag this out for too much longer, but where's the Phoenix Blade in all of this? And why wouldn't Gene be carrying that? I know, I know. Well, the only thing I can surmise is that they really want to divorce Gene from the Phoenix. We have the Phoenix Thank Force God. I mean, I'm, you know. It's an Avengers problem now. It's an Avengers problem now. I'm fine with it. Our last news story for the week, of course, is the biggest news story in the country, if not the entire world right now, and that is, of course, the presidential election. Um, now, as of this recording, Democratic presidential candidate Allison Blair, also known as Dazzler, is currently leading Republican William Stryker <laughs> as votes in critical swing states are still being counted. Now, I've spoken to Dazzler campaign spokesperson Zorna, and they are projecting <laughs> confidence um, but we do have Rachel Summers standing by in the future to transport my consciousness back to the time of this recording, just to be safe, should the race be called before this episode is streaming. Yeah, I love that the Dazzler camp has Zorna as a, uh, as a campaign spokesperson. Yeah, I mean, that's a real trustworthy individual. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, if elected, I can't imagine anything at all going wrong with a, a, a Dazzler administration. <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. Folks, this is the consciousness of future Flankman brought here by Rachel Summers to confirm that Democrats did indeed win the presidency in a stunning repudiation of Stryker's anti-mutant platform these last four years. And now, Back in the present. All righty, Flinkman, are you ready? We have our first round of listener questions ever. I, I asked people on our Instagram to send us some questions, and, and we got two in. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to uh, engage with our uh, Generations of X community, so uh, lay it on me. What do we got? What do we got? All right, our first question is, favorite X-Men adaptation and why? Ooh, well... That's, that's, that's simple. That's simple. For me, it's hands say. down 100% uh, the animated series from the 90s. Um, and I don't want to get too into why it's the absolute best because A, everyone listening already knows that. And B, we may have some surprises up our sleeves for a future episode. So don't want, don't want to talk too much about that. But essentially, it's the best because they took so many of the complex themes, ideas, and characters from the comics, uh, and they boil them down to 23-minute episodes that are easily accessible to everyone um, while still being incredibly true to the essence of the X-Men and what makes them great. Um, you know, it was never just the Wolverine show or the Xavier Magneto show. They took full advantage of their cast of characters better than the movies ever tried to, and uh, all the characters were important. 
all of them had their own motivations. They functioned as an actual team. Um, and all these things, I feel that you can't really successfully capture the X-Men without. Yeah, well, I think, you know, especially after reading the books the Lee Waltz have put out, I mean, they talk about how the X-Men are story best told over time. And what they did, they laid the groundwork for so many stories. I mean, the reason why the Dark Phoenix saga works so well in this adaptation, for example, not the movies, is because they took the time to develop Gene, the team, the team dynamics and everything. So by the time we get to Dark Phoenix in what, season three, you start, you, you know what's at stake, not just from a story perspective, but as a viewer, as, a, as watching these stories unfold, you're invested in these relationships and you know, Gene is the heart and soul of the X-Men. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's, that's certainly debatable, but... But um, to your point though, I think 100% the X-Men animated show is the best adaptation, but for me, I wanna give it to Days of Future Past, the Rogue Edition, from the movies because I think they took what was spread out already in X-Men, X2, uh, Last Stand, First Class, and the Wolverine spinoffs, and they really tied a story together. It, it was kind of like their version of an endgame, and I thought, I thought it was a really great story. Yeah, I mean, so far as using, um, you know, what the films had established, I I'll give it to you. Days of Future Past, um, really pulled all that together well. It's just, for me, all of that is Wolverine, Xavier, and Magneto. So it's pulling together three plot threads. Mystique. And Mystique. Uh, Mystique was a big I part. mean, Mystique at that point was, she was on the ascent. J-Law Mystique. J-Law Mystique. Right, right. Mystique was on the ascent at Days of Future Past because of J-Law and the Hunger Games. I don't think she would have wound up being so central to the franchise uh, if she hadn't become a star in her own right. But regardless, you know, my issue is the films never set up the kind of X-Men stuff I wanted to see. So even though Days of Future Past did successfully set, you know, pull together all the, the plot threads from the established X-Men film universe, it just wasn't, it just wasn't for me, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's fair, it's fair. Yeah, I just remember sometime, you know, around 2006, 2005, sometime whenever, whenever X-Men 3 was, um, and everybody, including you, was all over the internet hating on it and generally the X-Men movies, maybe not so much X2, but, um, and I was just, I was the guy, I was a lone voice out there on, on AIM and on, on the message boards <laughs> telling everybody to just turn off their brains and enjoy what we're given because it's, you know, the best we were going to get at the time. Um, but now after, you know, the MCU has successfully adapted so many stories from the comics, they've given us so many like brightly colored superhero outfits, I've kind of gone... We've, we've switched places. I'm sort of their harshest critic, and, and I feel like you've gone a little soft on them. I don't know. I, I don't think I was that soft on Dark Phoenix. <laughs> oh, I forget that even exists. Yeah, I know. Everyone does. Um, but no, I agree with you. I, but I also think First Class and Days of Future Past and even Logan were three really great movies, so it was easy to shut off your brain and like sort of inhale those movies. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. when you had when we had Wolverine Origins and X3 the last stand that was that was a dark period. But do you remember this? Wait, wait, can I ask you? Do you remember when the shot of uh Magneto and Gene and his brotherhood were in the forest? You thought Gene was originally Wanda. 
I did. I did because that look at what she was wearing. I know because that's not her Dark Phoenix outfit. And by the way, I'm a crazy Jean fan, so I was the the fact that our friendship survived because there were people who who were hating on X3, but I literally grabbed every receipt available on that. Like I tore it to shreds minute by minute and you had to suffer through that. So you're such a great friend. Thank you. And that's great advice. But I do that with the comic books, by the way. You taught me, shut off your brain and enjoy the comic books, you know, or enjoy the, the mediums you're being given, yeah. uh, these stories. And, and so I think I'm a lot easier on the comic books because of your advice. Well, anything I can do to, to help you find joy in your day-to-day life, I, I'm, I'm happy to do. But fuck Dark Phoenix. That was such a horrible movie. I'm sorry. The first 10 minutes were great, but after Great. Yeah, yeah. The first 10 minutes were, were the animated series, and then yeah. suddenly it was something completely not that. Okay, so our next question. This is going to be fun. Oh, what area do you guys disagree on the most? And Okay, before you answer, I, I just want to say... I don't know if we necessarily disagree on, on things. I mean, we just have a different approach when it comes to the X-Men. We have a different perspective on things. And I think we want the same things. Like, I want Dazzler to be given her dues. I want Madeline to be resurrected. Like, fuck the Quiet Council. We both hate Beast. And we hate Beast. So I don't know if we, we necessarily disagree on an actual outcome oh my god you're smiling what is it what is it what i mean you know what it is i don't know what it is why are you looking at me like that i hate your faves okay well who are wait 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 who are my faves doug ramsey gene obviously emma like you hate them no okay so this is this this list right you hate nate gray no but this this is new this is new when we oh i know where you're going with this when we first became friends, your two faves by far were Jean Grey, who I have an established history of disliking. <laughs> and y'all, y'all, his second favorite character was the Pretender. Oh, yeah, I love Wanda. I still love Wanda. Fuck Wanda. No, 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 no. I love Wanda Maxima. How, how can you hate Wanda? What is there to hate about Wanda? She is the reason we got a decade of horrible treading water stories <laughs> oh, because no, no, no. Marvel wanted to make the Avengers more prominent than the X-Men. Okay, wait, wait, Point wait. Point blank. Wait, wait. Horrible stories? Can I ask you a question? What's your favorite crossover? Uh, yeah, okay. So that was <laughs> Mike Carey attempting to salvage the mess he had been given. Um, All right. Children's and crusade. He- children's crusade. Children's crusade. I don't even know what that is. Oh, that's an, again, that's an Avengers story. It doesn't matter. It's still a good story. And I mean, she was, it is, but it's a young Avengers story. And again, it is a writer coming in and cleaning up a shitty story that Wanda caused. Like it's a good writer sweeping up after a, a, a long line of, of bad writers. <laughs> Alan Greenberg right. and Mike Carey both deserve awards for making the best of that shithole situation. I, I think there was nothing more epic in the last 15 years of storytelling for the Marvel 616 and Wanda saying, no more mutants. And boom, everything turning to white and the X-Men have to fight for survival because you forget the dramatic irony in it that Grant Morrison has set up, which was mutants were going to inherit the earth 
And then at the time, Wanda was a mutant. They're, they're, one of their own robs them of that. And now they're an endangered... Pretender. She's a pretender. Well, pretender She's not pretender. one of their own. But fine. Look, you know what? Fair. I guess we do disagree on something. And it's Wanda Maximoff. It is. And it will forever be. It's not my fault I'm right on this. But anyways, Wanda's uh, about Listeners, Wanda's listeners, about. X-Men <laughs> fans, please let us know what you think of the great pretender, Wanda Maximoff, by but- shooting us a DM at Generations of X on Instagram or generationsofx at gmail.com. And by the way, sidebar, I love that she's called the pretender. I am down with that. I'll never call her the Scarlet Pretender. The Scarlet Pretender. All right. Um, pretender. Pretender. All right. And we have a new segment here on Generations of X called OK Boomer. It's our newest segment, and it's spawning out of the ever-popular catchphrase, OK Boomer, used by the youth of today to dismiss or mock attitudes typically associated with baby boomers. Blinkman, have you ever used OK Boomer? To my mother's face, yes. (laughs) Or, okay, when someone tells me, like, oh, you're in your 30s, you should have your own washer and dryer, and I'm like, OK Boomer, relax. You should. Well, I do, actually, but it's not mine. I rent. Anyways, so we're going to adapt this into an X-Men segment and talk about the times younger X-Men mocked or, you know, kind of put the older characters on the spot. So let's kick off this segment with the character who inspired it, the poster child of defiant and witty youth, Tabitha Smith, a.k.a. Meltdown, a.k.a. Boom Boom, a.k.a. Firecracker, a.k.a. Mutate number 35, a.k.a. Time Bomb, a.k.a. Boomer herself. Okay, Boomer. So, Secret Wars 2, Tabitha's first appearance, her Boomer dad discovered she's a mutant. And how do Boomer parents react when they find out their kids are different? Shun them, usually. They get angry. And these panels, have you read Secret Wars 2, number 5? It's been a long, long, long time. But of course I've read Secret Wars 2. It's one of Dazzler's most important arcs. Flinkman horrified these panels of her dad he's straight up trying to beat tabitha he's literally coming at her with hands it's it's harrowing and as tabitha is telling the story you see the tears in her eyes she's in pain she's traumatized it it's just such a great narration it's so insightful she says that regardless of her mutation her parents have always been appalled by her and what do girls in the 80s want to do they just want to have fun but what's great is that Tabitha did not take this laying down. Absolutely not. What does she do? She's like, okay, boomer dad, and places a time bomb in her dad's lasagna, and kaboom! Bye bye boomer. Did she kill her dad? I don't know. Is it established that she killed her dad? He, she said it didn't end well. You know, I honestly, I have, I have a thing for characters that flash bang and sparkle, like Dazzler Jubilee and... You would think Boomer, but she's like, she, she's one that I, I've never been, I, I love her, but I've never been too into her. So I, I honestly don't, I honestly don't know. Okay, okay. But the best part of all of this, and you're going to appreciate this, the best part of all of this is that she's telling her story to the galactic entity known as a Beyonder, who's taken on human form in order to pursue his one true love, Dazzler. <laughs> We have that in common. That and our hair. How thirsty is this queen to go after Dazzler? I mean, we literally just discussed no more than five minutes ago that we're both waiting for Dazzler to get her due. So your pathetic attempts at shame. (laughs) 
not 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 getting you anywhere today. Okay, so the Beyonder talks about how he was rejected by Dazzler, and that left him feeling very lonely. And so he Boomer, settles for Boom Boom. So so Boomer is there, and she's eating a hot dog, saying, "You think it's your fault, and you try to pretend you're not hurt, but you actually really are." I mean, here is Boomer giving the Beyonder life advice. I mean, because he's so wrapped up in these boomer emotions that, you know, this woman needs to bow to his will. And Boomer's like, listen, it's not about her. It's about you. It's how you feel on the inside. And she then opens up about feelings of loss and her friend who committed suicide. And beyond her total D-bag is like, "Mm, I don't care. Peace out. And she's like, WTF, you're going to leave me here all alone? And he's here like, bye-bye. And she's like, this is such a great scene. She's like, well, can you give me a hug before you leave? And she goes to give him a hug. And what does she do? She slips a time bomb in his pocket. So when he ascends into the cosmos and he starts musing about Dazzler, literally his pocket explodes. And he's here like, what? That stupid child. It is the biggest fuck you to boomers. Boomer establishing her identity, giving this guy advice. And, and, and he's just wrapped up in his arrogant emotions, his misogynistic persecution of the mutant diva, the best mutant diva out there. See what I did there for you? I see. I see. And, you know, I would, I would end the segment right here, but I just want to, because it's a really important issue. Boomer eventually makes it to the X-Mansion and the X-Men legit ignore her. Like as she's, you know, knocks on the door, they're like, wait, there's a Beyonder. And they literally run past this poor mutant runaway in pain. And Boomer's like, you know what? I'm going to take my own life. And as she's about to do it, the Beyonder stops her because she touched him. She was able to reach him and show him a lesson. And he said, you didn't want to do that. That was just an act of desperation. And I just love that. So I want to kick off this segment, okay, Boomer, with this story, because I think it shows that Boomers, you know, you have antiquated ideas and you need to listen to the youth. That's it. Yeah. And I mean, that, that, was, that was a great recap, by the way. I, I, I don't remember that story. I know that I've read it, but it's been a very, 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 very long time. Um, but, you know, the one thing that really stands out there is how much I relate to the Beyonder. Uh, because it's like, it's like, Beyonder it, it is me in the 90s. All we wanted was Dazzler, but we had to settle for Boom Boom. (laughs) Oh, I mean, I don't think Boom Boom's a bad, like, second prize. No, no. She's, she's an excellent, if if we're talking about characters that flash bang or sparkle, she's, she's firmly number three on the list. Can I tell you something? This is so shady. At least, at least Boom Boom made it to X Factor. Shade. <laughs> I'll, I'll, right. I'll let you have that. I'll let you have that because you know, um, what 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 is this podcast if not about us shading each other's faves? I and, love. I love. That. Um, you know, just to do a little bit more of that. Uh, if you remember, a few weeks back, I uh, failed spectacularly at Dayspring's little quotes and trivia game. It was so much fun for everyone. So um, fun. If you remember, I got every single one wrong. Um, which is fine. It's fine because I'm absolutely going to get you back here in a second. Oh my God. Um, but first, I accepted my punishment, uh, which was having to read the X-Men Red Annual from 2018. 
Um, and that's something, obviously, as you know, a massive X-Men fan who reads anything with an X in front of it, that, that is something um, I have read before, but it's from an era where X-Books were almost universally only worth reading one time. So I wasn't super familiar with it. Um, and it turns out I'm not really familiar with it at all because I was expecting to read a story about the remnants of the original five X-Men minus Cyclops, who is totally dead at this point, uh, having a reunion dinner that's crashed by X, the younger version of Professor X, who's chilling in Phantom X's body or whatever that is. Uh, but no, that's actually the Astonishing X-Men annual from 2018. Charles Soule Sol wrote that one, right? He did. He did. Um, and uh, just spoiler alert, I wish that's what I had to read. Uh, <laughs> you read so, an even better issue. Hmm. So uh, the red <laughs> annual is about another series of post-resurrection reunions for Jean, because honestly, what good is a ginger cow if you can't milk her to death? <laughs> anyway, this issue picks up directly where the Phoenix Resurrection mini left off, and we get Jean's feels on seeing her friends again. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know about this scene. Uh, a few of the characters they chose to depict her as having special moments with, like Jubilee, Ileana, and Kitty, feel like super weird and shallow when Storm is standing right there and doesn't get any lines. Um, I'm then reminded of a few concepts that I would have been happy to forget. Uh, we have Karen Hare, Kitty Pride. We have Xavier School in Central Park. And the one that I'd like to forget the most, uh, Old Man Logan. Uh, we get a little insight into Jean's new mission statement before she's reunited with Rachel and introduced to X-23 and Honey Badgers. And, you know, these scenes are cute and enjoyable enough. Um, I do think Hope would have been more fun than Laura because, you know, but Wolverines are going to Wolverine and, and show up everywhere whether you want them to or not. Um, anyway, the three ladies who aren't children uh, then go on a mission that brings up another concept that's definitely better best forgotten. In fact, it might be my number one uh, X-Men concept that should absolutely stay in the garbage, and that is the Inhumans and the Terrigan Cloud that killed Cyclops. Um, Jean gets a bullshit I'm sorry out of Black Bolt uh, to help sweep the whole issue under the rug before we end with Gene boohooing at Cyclops' grave. Um, yeah, so that's my punishment. And like I said, it was actually a little bit more of a punishment than I was expecting. <laughs> okay, okay. First of all, it was... Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one thing. When I first read it, I was disappointed in it. Because, yeah, I thought the exact same thing as you. Why do we have a scene with Vampire Jubilee and not Storm or Iceman? Or even, look, I hate him to death, but Beast. You well, know... Well, I'll get, I, I will say, you know, the Jubilee scene sort of makes sense in that as it was happening, she was acknowledging the things that were different from before. And obviously Jubilee being an undead, blood-sucking mother is, is she's yeah, really... Yeah, and Kitty, and Kitty facing a whole bullet through the planet. That was... I mean, was sure, hard. sure. But with Storm standing right there, is that really the reunions we want to focus I on? I agree. That's, I, I agree yeah. with you. I'm agreeing with you. And I also thought the pacing was kind of off. Like, Jean literally is resurrected, goes to the mansion. There's a horde of people there. And then she sees Rachel. And then she goes to see X-23. And then she goes to the Inhumans. I'm like, that's a lot for... Like, she just got out of the grave. Like, give her, like, 10 minutes to like right. relax but i thought the scenes 
I actually, I did not like the Inhumans versus X-Men crossover. As you we know, we talked it. about that, hated it. But I thought that scene where Jean was talking to Black Bolt and she says, I want you to see my mind. I want you to see how much in pain I am. And all I want from you is an I'm sorry. I'm trying to rebuild the relationship between our people. And literally that splash of her and like Black Bolt and the I'm sorry that comes out, presumably from Jean's you know, mouth, obviously, I just thought that was very beautiful. And you know what? She had to say goodbye to Cyclops. Cyclops was dead. I, I like that kind of irony. So in retrospect, I like it. So I love, and I love the idea that Gene and Rachel had this reunion and it didn't need to be so crazy. They were just flying because they could fly and they were just sharing their thoughts. I thought that was a very beautiful scene because historically they have a very contentious mother-daughter relationship. I mean, they've gotten over it. It's yeah. established that, that they've moved past that. But, but Rachel, but the, yes, they have. But Rachel disappeared during Excalibur and then Jean died during New X-Men. So these characters have not shared panel time since like the 90s. No, I, I, I totally get beautiful. it. I totally this get it. It's beautiful and, to see. You know, see it, that. It's not that it was a terrible issue. It's just, I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed X-Men Red on the whole um, you know, because number one, this is a gene issue. I, I do not like <laughs> I, I do not like gene, so strike one. Uh, the art is actually pretty hideous too, uh, especially Jean with her Courtney Cox scream three bangs. It is such an ugly issue. I feel so bad. I think the X Office thought this was like a really special, like they like to do that, like special art, and this was so ugly. It was so ugly. So that's strike two. Uh, yeah, and it's like I, I've said. It sidesteps so many more important character unions so we can get 10 pages of Inhumans bullshit. That's strike three. I don't give a shit about the Inhumans. I'm sorry. I know, narratively speaking, it's important for Jean to have some sort of acknowledgement of Cyclops' death, but, like, no. No, it was a waste. It was a waste. Um, You know, the only essential part of this issue to me, in my opinion, of course, is the Cassandra Nova reveal at the end. Um, because that obviously played into the bits of red that I did actually enjoy. Well, and I, I don't disagree with that. I just wish it wasn't Rachel. I wish it would have been someone like Emma, because if you're a gene. Oh, no, Emma's far should... too strong for that. No, I don't look, it's not about being far too strong. It's, 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 it's Cassandra Nova. It was established Cassandra Nova as a force of nature and she's very tough. And it's regardless of your power set, even Xavier can't take her on, you know, and even Jean with the Phoenix struggled. But what I, what I would have liked to have seen during this era, what I was anticipating was seeing Jean and Emma reunited. And that was something that like, I wish Rosenberg would have really driven home because I thought it was a great opportunity to see these two women come together without Cyclops and put their differences aside and sort of ascend together. And so I, was, I thought like a Jean-Emma battle you know, would have been really great marketing and well, it could have been resolved in a very great way that was very empowering to to both women i i i personally if you want tom taylor to write that in x-men red fine but rosenberg well it was him. an x-men red um but wait wait the rachel the, it, there's no payoff because literally it's just rachel mind controlled and then gene sees her and battles her for like one panel and that's it you know she's well, here yeah. like hey kid sorry bye and that's it so you might as well have done someone else it could have been anyone else 
Well, I would like to remind you that Emma Frost possessed by Cassandra Nova is a story that we have already had before. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. So I'm glad we didn't go back down that road. Well, and there you go. Even Emma Falls is susceptible to, to right, Cassandra Nova. Right. And she, she grew so strong true. from that. She was yeah. able to hold the void, you yeah. know? So she can, she, <laughs> Cassandra Nova it. is not going to be able to pull one over on Emma again, but right. I digress. Right. Anyways, now so on a scale of one to turn. 10, on a scale of one to 10, how do you? Oh, on a scale of one to 10, I'll give it a six. Okay. Honestly, it, I, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I might slightly like it more than I dislike it. But again, the art really really drags it down it's just if ugly. i can just give you can i just give you some advice turn off your brain and enjoy it oh that's <laughs> such sound advice so wise so now i'm very excited because it's my turn to flip the script on dayspring and do a little trivia bring it, uh, bring, it dayspring, bring it are you ready to use the focus totality of your x-men knowledge and win this thing bro i was born ready bring it bring it we'll, we'll see we'll see All right, so five questions. We're going to start with a pair of trivia questions before ending with three quotes. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Oh, wait. Do I get like a lifeline? Can I ask for a hint and stuff like that? We'll we'll see how nice I feel. Okay. Okay. Well, if it's something you should know, then no. (laughs) All right. Let's see. All right. So question number one. What was the name of the Svengali slash love interest from Dazzler the movie and later issues of the Dazzler series? <laughs> I, you know what? Fair. I don't know. I sent you Dazzler the movie when you I were know. sick, Paul. Wait, wait, wait. Spring. I wait, sent wait. you a copy of Dazzler the movie when you were sick, Dayspring. Look what you I have right here. Look what I have right here. What right is there? that? Unread. God, right that, that no, I did fabulous. read it, but you sent this to me in 2013. So is that a, I don't know? That is, yeah. I, I, I happily accept defeat on that. I'm sorry. I only read good comic books. <laughs> I don't the answer, of course, is Roman Nicobo. I feel like I gave you really general, like, questions that you should have known, not ones that you purposely didn't. I'm just saying. This wasn't on purpose. I knew that I sent you the book. I know that you've read it. You should right, know fair. this. Fair, fair. You know what? Unlike you, I am a gracious loser. I, I did not. I pass. Well, with that, we're going to continue on your losing path <laughs> with question number two. Name all St. Croix siblings. Okay, um, so we have... And this is their real names, not code names. Okay, so no, I'm not going to get their real names. I'm not going to get their fucking Okay, well, well then... So, so we got M, we got the, the Penance twins. I know that for a fact, because they were recently in uh, House uh-huh. of X. And I don't know their real names. I don't know their real names. And then M-Plate. M-Plate's one of them, right? Okay, M-Plate's her well, older brother. He, he's, yeah. her, he's her older brother, right? I mean... And I did not. I really was that. looking for real names here. No, it's fair. Look, look, look. I don't know. I can Google it now, but I don't know. Uh, well, as someone who you know just read Generation X over the summer, I would have expected you to know Marius, Monet, Claudette, hey. and Nicole. Oh, you're right. I didn't know Claudette in like the back of my head. Mm-hmm, I didn't sure know you that. did. Sure you did. So eh, that's too long. <laughs> fair. No, fair. we're going to move. Wait, wait, on. wait, wait. But it's only it's only M, the twins, and M plate, right? Yes, yes, there's four of them. Um, okay, 
Give me quotes. So we're gonna move on to quotes. You're you you're gonna you're gonna nail this because you remember everything that everyone said. Oh ever. my god, no! I mean, like the way you're doing this. <laughs> <clears throat> Who okay. said the following? It is an evil in men's hearts that must be fought. If we stand up to the troublemakers, they will give up their cruel designs. If we fail, their intolerance will grow and many could perish. It is so hard not to say that in character. Is that Emma? No. No, what? it's not. Well, I, Do you I, care to try again? I, I'm trying, like, I know the quote. It's like on the back of my head. Okay. Was it let during me, a crossover? Me, Was it during oh, AVX? This, what? Was it during AVX? It wasn't. Let me hear. Here, let me... Let me throw you a lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't asked for one, but your volunteer ones, I'll take it. It is an evil in men's hearts that must be fought. Storm! Because we... <laughs> <laughs> you do such a good storm. That actually really is a storm line. I mean, I should have known that. And that's from the animated series. It is, it is. Yeah. Now that you say, I, where, what episode was that from again? Is that? It was very early. It might've even been the first, it was the first, of, first or second episode of the second series uh, when they're discussing uh, President Kelly's change of heart. So I've been rewatching uh, the X-Men animated. The, That's why it was like uh, in mutants. the back. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, I'll give you half, you know, I'll yeah, give you like half a quarter credit for that. You know what? I, how about with the M question and this, I get like one point. One point. One, <laughs> one point. point. Well, you've already lost. We'll just keep going. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Let's see. Let's see if I can make it up with this one. Our next quote. Hold it, Kitty. Wolverine may not be Mr. Sunshine, but he isn't the enemy. Oh my God. I can, I can like, I know this quote, obviously, but I can't. Oh, Jesus. Who, who would have said that? That, that's, you know what? Bravo, because that's a very easy one. And I should know that. Is it Dazzler? It is. Yes, there you go. In what? Where? Huh? Is it Pride of the X-Men? It is! There you go! All right, You're, you okay. got two. Uh-oh. I got two. There. Do, do I have Ooh, a... So is there one more? This one, you wedge. Oh my God, are you... Oh my God, I'm literally, like, I'm so nervous right now. With cheating, of course, but that's fine. That's fine. How that's was I cheating? Thing. You know what you did. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I gave you the, the, the siblings' names... I gave you a clue for someone. And I'm, t- it's fine. I'm taking, and I took half a point for each. I want you to succeed. Half a point. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, go. Final go. question. Okay. And this one's a bit of a tie-in to Ten of Swords so that we can transition to our next segment. Oh, Jesus. Who said the following? Can you possibly be so blind? Your dimension has become a cancer, bringing devastation to brains all along the sidereal string. Sparing you condemns the rest. Um, and your only clue here is this is not from the actual crossover. I have zero idea who said that. <laughs> that is Saturnine in the House of M tie-in issues of Uncanny X-Men. Oh, I didn't even know Saturnine was in the House of M. I, and I know which one you're talking about. That's where Betsy sees Rachel and Rachel says she has no other possibilities, yep. but yep. Psylocke has so many. Ah, oh, you know what? So... <sighs> What's my punishment? All right, loser. Well, <clears throat> my first instinct after our discussion with Dylan last week was to make you read Beauty and the Beast. Oh, my God. Uh, but I decided that we should save that for when we eventually do our very special Dazzler episode. So instead, I want you to read the oft-forgotten opus of the modern ex-students, 
Pixie Strikes Back. Oh, no. And I can picture that cover with like the fire in the background and the students and the pixie like. Why are you walk- shading oh, Catherine Eminem and Sarah Pakeli right now? I just, I thought you were giving me something decent to read. Like I at least try to give you something good with X-Men. Are you, are I, you insulting I, Catherine Eminem? I went to, um, I bought the first issue of that at a comic book store in Manhattan called Time Machine in Chelsea. And I remember I read it on my lunch break. I was like, uh pixie strikes back oh whatever that has it's it's so good it's so good i'm gonna i'm really looking forward to your change of heart on that one all right challenge accepted so uh with that you know lovely little ten of swords transition question there do you want to take us into this week's recap reviews okay so we're going to be discussing x-men number 14 which is chapter 12 of the ten of swords crossover our writer is jonathan hickman and our artists are mahmoud asar and lionel francis Yu. All right, so we kick off at the Starlight Citadel on Otherworld, and Apocalypse and Genesis reunite on the eve of battle. Genesis accuses Apocalypse of being a man of peace now, and he, in turn, says that she has fallen from grace, citing the Twilight Blade she wields. She's amused by his words, saying it's a powerful weapon, but it isn't the most powerful thing in the garden. Apocalypse then says every bone in his body aches upon seeing her. They put their blades down and she begins to tell him the story of how she got to this point. So we know the tale. The Twilight Sword cut Okara in two and we got Arako and Krakoa. And from the chasm, the enemies of Ameth poured in. The Annihilation Army was sealed away. The mutants of Arako lost their mind and fled to the wasteland. And presumably they all died. And they talk about the White Sword and his 100-year uh, how they, they were able to buy them some time as the alchemists and engineers of Arako created an armor around Arako and erected 10 towers. And as a result, they were able to defeat all the enemies that were trying to get them. And for generations, including Summoner's birth, generations of mutants never knew defeat. So Genesis says that there was a prophet and that prophet foretold the end. And she was laughing because she was here like, I don't know any defeat. And she took the army outside of Arako's shield. So they reached the ivory spire to the white sword, who was previously presumed to be lost to them, but actually had survived. And she talks about how the cycle of daily death and rebirth changed them. And he was no longer the warrior they knew. So this was her first defeat. And white sword slaughtered them. And Genesis goes back to her sister, Iska, and they go to the capital city of Ameth, and they discover that those mutants that had previously ran into the wasteland didn't really die so much as they were being bred. And, like, Genesis is furious. She's not happy. So she fights Annihilation, who's the the head of the army, and she takes her head. Whoever takes the helm is the helm. And they wear the crown, they control the land. So apparently the Annihilation helmet controls the army because without that they would be just like mindless like demons like overtaking the land so she putting on the helmet would presumably be able to control them but she doesn't want to do it because she's seen how horrible the horde is and she wants to keep Arako's stronghold but you know she she held out hope that apocalypse would be able to raise a mutant society to help defend them but you know, we all know what's been going on with you know, Krakoa. So 
the the hordes just annihilate the towers and they infiltrate Arako. So in order to protect Earth from this annihilation horde, she places the helmet on her. You know, her intentions were good. She wanted to protect the Earth, but now the helmet wants Krakoa. And as a result, she wants Krakoa. And that's how we end our issue with her saying that she's going to see what Krakoa and Apocalypse has to offer. And we get some new mutant laws. Were these new mutant laws? which were make more mutants, destroy our enemies, and defend this broken land. I think those are the mutant laws of Arako. Okay, so those are the mutant laws. So we end with the mutant laws of Arako, clearly stated to us, which is make more mutants, destroy our enemies, and defend this broken land. Which, of course, is basically, one of those is the opposite of the rules of Krakoa, which is harm no man. Yep. Okay, so um, I'm just going to say this right now. I don't care. I don't care. Do not care even a little bit. I don't care a little bit. Look, I get it. But, but Flickman, this is Hickman. This is Hickman. Are you quoting me? I'm quoting you. Is this your new favorite quote? (laughs) This is Please ask me that who said that in your next round. (laughs) Um, Look, I understand fully well what he's doing. He's humanizing apocalypse. He's humanizing Genesis. You, you can't get away with Apocalypse being a 1B character anymore. He's complex. He's capable of great evil and of great love. I, I want to be clear on this, that this is not horrible writing. But Genesis is only a character I've known for a minute. And now as a reader, I'm supposed to buy the fact that in the decades that I've known Apocalypse, he's harbored this secret lost love who isn't really dead, but part of this first generation of mutants that now wants to take Krakoa and the fate of Krakoa and the X-Men's lives hang in the balance. And Apocalypse needs to pull it together because he's too emotional to get into battle. No fucking way. I'm sorry. Thank you, next. Someone get me the number to the Age of Apocalypse. I'm calling the Madri. It's a little too Infinity Wars Thanos for me. Well, and let's not forget that Apocalypse has clearly moved on. We've seen he had a relationship with, what was it, Famine, which birthed the 616 uh, version of Apocalypse. I can't remember, or not Apocalypse, of Holocaust. I can't remember what his name wound up being, but it's like, I have a hard time, I agree with you, I have a hard time uh, believing that Apocalypse has been heartbroken this entire time. Um, And yeah, I was so bored by this that I don't want to spend too much time reviewing it. Really, the only thing that I have to say about it is do you think they they paid uh, Lionel Francis Yu again for for this issue? Because his, (laughs) his contributions to this issue are literally the exact same pages he drew for X-Men 12. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They just I, reused them. Yeah, they just reused that. That's why they had to give him the credit. Um, I don't know. I you uh, know, I hope he I hope he got paid for, for I don't know issues. how that works. I don't know how those contracts work. Um, but I just want to say like if you want to establish pathos for apocalypse, I just don't think this is a route for it. No. I I think and I know you don't like uncanny (laughs) x-force but i feel remender with kid apocalypse established some pathos for us this just makes me feel really i don't know i just i don't care i'd rather be seeing this conversation between scott and gene i'd rather see this between madeline and you know someone else i just i feel like there's so many more balls in the air that 
humanizing apocalypse is just not on my priority list right now. Not a priority. Not a priority. All. And I'm still digesting the fact that he's more of a, as you say, like magician character than instead of this evolutionary figure who believes in survival of the fittest, which I was fine with that backstory of why he sort of has that dogma. But I don't know. I just, I don't care. I, I don't care about Genesis. I don't right, care right. about Genesis love. That's it. That's just what it boils down to. I'm glad there's a strong woman um, to defend Araco. I love that. But for me, I just, you're asking me to, to have pathos for this romance. I don't have it. Right. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. It's this, a character shift for Apocalypse that we're being, you know, forced to, to swallow here. And it, 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 it's not, something that I that I'm into at all. So okay, uh, before I actually start our next review, um, which is of Marauders, I just want to say that uh, navigating to it in my Comixology app and seeing all of the gorgeous Russell Dodderman covers together, um, I am reminded of all the interesting stories this book set up that have been tossed aside for this crossover. Um, the shenanigans with Sebastian Shaw, the Christian Frost triple cross, Callisto in a white pantsuit. Um, yeah, I'm not saying all of this to build up any sort of negative outlook towards the issue I'm about to recap. I'm just saying I will be excited to get back to all of that because it's what was making the Marauders the best book of Dawn of X. Anyway, anyway. Agreed. With Agreed. that, what? Agreed. Agreed. 100% oh, Okay, agree. we agree. We agree. I agree. We agree. Um, so with all that said, we will now be diving into Marauders issue 14, which is chapter 13 of the Ten of Swords crossover. It's written by Jerry Dugan and Benjamin Percy with art by Stefano Caselli and colors by Edgar Delgado. Twas the night before the cross-dimensional tournament and a feast is being prepared in Otherworld. Mad Jim Jaspers is taking care of the menu while Logan is doing the not very nice thing he does second best, brooding with a beverage. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of our Krakoan champions are taking the time to get to know their Arakoan, Arakoan? I guess. Is that, it's so hard to say. <clears throat> They're getting to know their Arakoan counterparts with Magic and Gorgon quietly assessing their enemies' as weaknesses. The horseman Death approaches Storm and it's quickly established that she's not afraid of him or what's to come. Quite the opposite. She actually seems kind of oddly into Death as she tucks a flower behind his ear and tells him he's going to be a problem. We then hop to our perennial wallflower, Doug Ramsey, who is quietly drinking in the corner and trying to be polite by saying, hey, to Bay the Blood Moon, but he is aggressively rebuffed. Looking at this panel, I'm wondering if Bay is the character seen on Doug's tarot card uh, in Ten of Swords Stasis last week, but this is their only interaction this issue, so we'll just have to stay tuned. All of our characters then gather around the ridiculous dinner table in the ridiculous dining hall that is built over a mermaid-filled body of water. Famine, who's decidedly not the regent of Dryador and doesn't know how many times he has to tell you Saturnine, is very much like me in most social situations, as he says he doesn't want to be there any longer than he has to be. <laughs> we then check back in with Wolverine and see that he's doing yet another of the not very nice things he does best, getting wasted. Logan is so wasted off this steaming green beverage that he decides to confront the Braddock twins and let Brian know that this is all his fault. He could just go upstairs right now, bone Saturnine, and this would all be over. But uh, no, that's not going to work for Brian because he's married to the utterly iconic Megan, duh, and he takes <laughs> his vows very seriously. 
Logan then gets extra huffy, listing off all the members of their team that aren't married and implies they're all going to die before they ever even get the chance to marry, which is kind of shitty for a man who's had such terrible luck with women in marriage. Elsewhere, my new fave dynamic duo, Magic and Gorgon, are still assessing the Arakoan sword bearers, and Magic calls internet legend Pogger Pog a chonky dinosaur. That legitimately made me laugh out loud. So, here we learn that war is right-handed, death favors his left side, and red root shrubbery may hide other eyes, but they haven't yet figured out Iska the Unbeaten, and we get a cute scene where both sides test each other's reflexes and ability, and frankly, everyone seems impressed, as they should be. Elsewhere, some of the party guests seem to actually be enjoying themselves, but most especially Storm, who's still flirting with death as she parts the water beneath her feet with her powers and they share a rather passionate dance under the sea. While she is literally dancing with a physical representation of death, she wants him to know that she's danced with the concept of death her entire life, so she ain't scared. It is time for the feast, and all champions are to take their assigned seats at the table. Grumpy old Logan is seated next to War, and what's this? War is opening a vial of something under the table and sprinkles it on Logan's cross-dimensional California roll. We don't actually see Wolverine eat anything, but I guess maybe he did? I I don't know. But he then goes feral and stabs Saturnine through the chest with both sets of claws, and that is where our issue ends. Another issue that's more about the characters and their feels than the actual tournament, which, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but... What did you think, Dayspring? I, you know what? I like your recap better than my read of it. I think that's been a recurring theme for us. But look, I, first of all, I felt the ending kind of came out of nowhere. I, I, I don't know. I mean, he just goes feral and, and just stabs Saturnine. I just was like... So I'm with you there on my first read of it. But of course, I had to reread it so that I could. Yeah. I could no, I, I know. I want to know your read on that. But um, just to sum up my feelings, I didn't really care. Again, I didn't care for these issues. I'm ready. I never thought it would say this. I'm just ready for some straight up action. I yeah. just I feel like we've gotten weeks and issues of just character building and data like to the point that I feel like I've overstayed my welcome with this yeah. with the character development. Just get to the tournament already. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm like famine. I don't want to be here any longer than I have to be. Y'all are already keeping me out past my bedtime. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree with all of that. But I do want to say, you know, on the second read, uh, seeing the, you know, I mean, I saw it the first time, but who is it? War? War. God, it's so hard to keep him straight. Uh, war sprinkling, um, whatever he's sprinkling on, on Logan's food. Um, it's green. <sighs> And then if you look at Logan's beverage that he's drinking the entire time, it has green smoke or, or steam coming oh, off of it. So I, I totally missed that. I missed that. I think Logan has been drugged for this entire issue. And that's why he's such a cranky pants more than usual. I well, think he's I, I like now I like the issue a lot. Like I liked it when you were talking about it. And now I like it a lot more after that. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, clearly his, his anger level has been rising, 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 rising the whole issue, you know, that angry confrontation with, you know, Captain Avalon, while that's not necessarily out of character for, for Logan to have that kind of confrontation with someone, it certainly came out of nowhere, much like him wholeheartedly stabbing Saturnine through her whole heart came out of nowhere. So I'm, I'm thinking if you go back, if you look, 
to me, it seems obvious that that Wolverine has actually been drugged that entire issue. No, that's fair. That's fair. I like that read a lot more. Um, to circle back on what you said about Doug and Bay, I don't, you know, I looked at the images because, of course, that's exactly what I thought too the second I saw her. And, and she, she kind of fits the bill, which is like the long, dark hair. But I mean, I, it doesn't look like her. And I don't know if that's just a limitation between, you know, two artists and their interpretation of a character. But I didn't think Bay was that much taller than Doug Ramsey. I don't know why Bay for me, I've only seen her in like a crouching, you know, position or just, I, I haven't been able to get a height sense of her, but I didn't think it was her and like her hair looked different in this issue. So yeah, for sure. So I don't know. I'm with you that it could be Bay. I think it well, could I, be I just Bay. don't know, you know, that was, that was to, to draw such attention to, to that particular interaction. It, it doesn't feel like it, it, it was for nothing, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. It, it, it wouldn't have been for nothing. So, you know, my, my hopes of uh, Doug Ramsey finding a zaddy in other world, I guess, are now significantly diminishing. But maybe if they have a rapport, she's going to be protecting Doug because I don't want Doug to die. And as of right now, it's not looking good for Doug. Not looking good for Doug. And that just sucks. I, he's not one of my favorite characters. Um but he, like, you know, I've said it week after week, he is more powerful than they are writing him in this crossover. Yeah, I've been reading, I mean, this is a quick sidebar, I've been reading New Mutants and I've, the issues that he's spotlit in quite a bit. And I, I'm growing to love Doug so much these days. So he's one of my new favorites that bumped one up, apparently. But, Bye, Wanda. Um, but let's see where it goes. I, you know, again, this is, what, what else is there to say? There was a lot of setup in this issue. I, I'm just ready. We're on chapter 12. Or no, this is chapter 13. I'm just, I'm ready. Just, I'm ready. I'm ready. Like, just get to the fighting. I, I hate to talk like that. Right, but, because that's not who we are. No, but I'm like, you know what? I just feel exhausted. I mean, I think it's so much jargon. It's so much data that we're being given. I've marinated. If this would have just been, Two issues ago, I would have been like, this is great. Thank you for this backstory. Let's get to the fighting. And now I'm like, you're giving me too much. Right. I mean, we actually, the data page in this issue was the first page and it was Saturnine's menu for her guest at the dinner that- I don't need to know that. No, no. We don't need to know any of that. In fact, I'm glad you mentioned that because that took me out of it. That took me out of the issue. I was just like, what? This is like the weirdest menu ever. It just seemed, I don't know. I don't want to say it sounded red kiddish. I just felt like, I don't care. Like, this is irrelevant. Like, just streamline the story for me. And they're not streamlining it. But that's it. That's it. Look, I've enjoyed the crossover. I don't think, as I've said over and over again, I don't think this is bad writing. I think editorially, I'm proud they've been able to turn out so many issues on time the pandemic obviously served them well but that's it i'm ready to get the fighting done i i think this is one that will read better as a whole you know once we have the full picture we won't be so in the minutia of the week to week like what does this mean what does that mean this is boring maybe it'll read better once we have the full picture i don't know we'll see we'll see i'm not bored so that's good I, I've said my piece. <laughs> yeah, I don't really, there's not a lot to say about these issues just because it is literally all characters talking. Yeah, I had, I had a really great writing mentor who once said, like when I turned in like, like midway through my book, like the pages that were in the middle of my book, she just said, there's nothing to say. It's just the middle chapter. 
That's it. Yeah. There's nothing to say about this. So I think when we see it retrospectively, we'll be able to understand their positioning a little better. We'll see. We'll see. So we have some exciting content coming up in the next few weeks. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and don't miss an episode because we're really excited for the guests we're going to start interviewing this week. And uh, we'll announce when those episodes are going to air. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, if you would like to reach us, we are available at Generations of X on Instagram or Generations of X at gmail.com. And this is, again, this is me putting out a call for everyone to send us their thoughts and feels on Wanda. The Pretender Witch. <laughs> the best the witch. Scarlet Pretender. The, the Scarlet, Scarlet Pretender. 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 All right. I am the Uncanny Dayspring. And I am the Adjectiveless Flinkman. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out.